0: Hello and Shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, and I hope that everyone listening to my voice is doing exceptionally well, and uh, it's so great to be with you guys this week. Um, just a couple of real quick things Welcome to everybody who is joining us for the first time If you are listening on Hebrew Nation Online You've stumbled across um, our program Thank you so much for listening in And for joining in the conversations. really super awesome uh, And for those of you who are longtime listeners Thank you guys and gals as well Just for the great community All the encouragement, all the feedback uh, Really super cool uh, that we have this opportunity So thanks to all the folks that make Hebrew Nation run And um Uh, Awesome. Just as a side note, remember you can catch us at Out of Ashes Ministries where I uh, am privileged to be the pastor uh, on Saturdays at 10 uh, a.m. for a live stream Shabbat service. Uh, And that is available on our website, outofashesministries.org as well as on Facebook and on YouTube. So wherever you like to uh, consume information or fellowship with other folks, um, hopefully we are there. Uh, This uh, radio show, uh, it gets, of course, put on the archive at uh, Hebrew Nation Online. Uh, also, it gets added to our website, and we have uh, we stream on Apple, uh, Android, across all the major podcasting platforms, so be sure to check us out there as well. Uh, so, cool. All the preliminaries, by the way. Hey, I wanted to tell you about uh, a really cool event that I was privileged to be a part of this last weekend uh, in Dallas, Texas, called Messiah Meetings. Um, this is a uh, an event that's put on. It's a one-day conference uh, that's put on by uh, Hebrew Family Fellowship. It was hosted by Hebrew Family Fellowship um, there, but uh, Mason Clover, um, the guys at Lion and Lamb, uh, it's kind of a, a brainchild and, a, and a, a heart project of theirs. And uh, it's a one-day uh, mini-conference conference, uh, where speakers from all over the place come in, uh, we each had about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, uh, to share on a particular topic. This weekend's topic was the parables of Yeshua. And uh, some incredible, incredible, um, just heart-challenging, mind-challenging, convicting, encouraging, uh, just really incredible um, you know stuff came out from some really incredible men and women. And uh, those are going to be posted uh, to uh, Messiah Meetings or Messiah.media. Um, uh, I think is the website. I'll be posting those on our Facebook page at Out of Ashes Ministries um, whenever they are posted. They were supposed to be live streamed, some internet issue with the facility we were at, uh, and so they're, they're being edited right now we'll be posted. So I would just encourage you to go online and check those out. The next Messiah Meetings um, is going to be in November sometime uh, at Founded in Truth uh, with Pastor Matt and Jenny Vanderels uh, in uh, South Carolina. So if you're in the South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia area, um, then you will want to make sure to uh, to check that out. Uh, so I mean, again, some incredible teachers with amazing hearts for for God uh, and for the kingdom, and focusing on Messiah, and and so it's really super important and really just an awesome event. So be looking for those uh, teachings that were done to be posted on our website, and again, check out MessiahMeetings.com. And you'll be able to find out where there's one coming to your area. I think they're trying to do three to four per year. And I believe right now they're scheduled out to 2023. So really super exciting and uh, love being with these guys and gals. And it just was an awesome time. So check that out and look for it to be coming. Uh, the links to be coming soon. Let's pray before we get into today's episode. Avinu our Father that's in heaven, Avinu Malkinu, we bless you and we thank you for this incredible opportunity to be together again this week. And I just pray your shalom just blankets and covers everyone who is listening to IBR, everyone out there under the sound of my voice. Let us represent you well. I don't know about you guys but uh, I understand when I say guys I don't know if it's just a me thing or if it's a southern thing I don't know when I say guys I mean everybody guys and gals like dudes whatever uh, but uh, I need um, I need to be blanketed with the father Shalom uh, everything is so nuts everything is so crazy um, and I don't know about you where you are wherever you're listening from um, but through the whole pandemic and all the the different things, um, my day-to-day life hasn't changed a whole super lot. I know that for a while, you know, everybody was maybe in lockdown and stuff. But we are in a very rural area, and so you know, things tend to not be as um, as militant or as even really as necessary, just because there's not as many people in in a small location as there is in an urban area or something like that. So, um, it, it day-to-day life for us you know, down here in South Louisiana, necessarily it hasn't changed a whole, whole lot. Um, my family came through COVID a, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so. And I told my wife, you know, it was like a bad head cold for us. Um, she had, you know, some aches and pains. I had a couple of days where I was just, you know, wiped out. Um, but really, it wasn't, you know, too terribly bad. I know for some people it really is. And so don't take my experience as, you know, standard, But, but I think it is. Um, and, uh, but I told her we are you know, talking about it and I said, you know, really the, the, the worst thing about it is not the sickness, um, because, and I know it's like this for other parts of the country, like middle of summer, end of the summer, um, we get head colds, sinuses, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just like when that stuff moves in. And for me, since I was a kid, like every summer just about when I get this head cold, you know, congestion stuff, it turns almost immediately into bronchitis. It goes into my, my uh, lungs and turns in. You know, breathing treatments and a whole lot. Anyway, so it's just kind of standard practice around here. We get ready for it every summer, and then we get through it. And um, that's what this kind of felt like uh, or felt a lot like and uh, except for the taste and smell thing and so I, I was talking to her and i said you know the sick part of it wasn't as bad um it wasn't really bad at all the but the mental part of it was worse than the actual physical sickness so just the like realizing this is what it was and just all the hype and all the fear and all the the drama that we've been inundated and programmed with over the last you know year and a half um, that was really the more difficult part of it than just getting through the sickness, you know, for a week or so. And, uh, and having to just pray for shalom and pray for, for peace and for wisdom. Uh, and, and that was really the challenging part of being sick. And now with all the Afghanistan stuff going on and just the debacle um, that is this handling of of Afghanistan. And in my opinion, I talked about this last week, I think it was kind of a political rant. But this whole administration and the way our country is working now, um, just the the knowledge of it, the, the the way that we're saturated with it in politics and news and all over the place on social media. Um, I think we're doing worse mentally than we are physically, uh, maybe worse spiritually, emotionally. And, um, and it's just we just need the Father Shalom. We need Ruach to just blanket us and wrap us in the Father Shalom. Um, which is not just peace, right? Um, But it's also completeness. We need a sense of completeness and wholeness and and okayness. That's not really a word, but that's the only way I can think to put it. We need a sense of of, that we're okay, we're going to be okay, um, and we need to be confident in that. And so I just, I want us to be wrapped in that. So um, this week I want to... Talk about kind of the topic for my talk at uh, last weekend's Messiah meetings because I think it's really important, um, especially as a you know now with everything going on, we are more divided than we maybe ever have been. I know we say that you know several years ago when the riots broke out in Ferguson and all that, uh, and through the you know Black Lives Matter stuff and all that, it's like well America's more divided than it ever has been, um, and yet here we are now with this vaccinating, unvaccinating, masking, not masking, whatever. Um, now it seems like another, you know, cause of division. And and if you if we look at, at history, and we just kind of look at the way things work, um, it, the the adversary, whether that be Hasatan or whether that be the government um, or whatever it may be, the adversarial forces around us, their number one number one job is to divide us. Period. And, and it may look like a racial thing. It may look like a medical thing. It may look like a poverty thing. It may look like, you know, all kinds of, it may look religious. It may, it may wear a lot of different masks and faces, but the, the number one biggest tool that government uses, that empire uses, that adversarial forces uses, that Hasatan uses, is division. And we, those of us in the kingdom, we should be able to look at the world and society around us and expect division because they don't know any better. Well, and what's actually happening in actual fact is that much of society knows much better than the kingdom about division and about the dangers of division. And what has grieved me so much and what what has hurt me so much is in the last several months is to see the kingdom turning against itself. Uh, i don't remember who uh, there was a famous I think it was general or or something like that 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 talked about how uh, America will never be defeated from an outside enemy that if America falls, it'll be from the inside and and I really feel that way about the kingdom as well if the if the kingdom is not effective and if the kingdom is not progressing and and uh, walking in our responsibility and impacting society and culture. It's not because of outside forces. It's because of inside forces. It's because we are. uh, I had a youth pastor um, when I was in high school that really shaped a lot of things for me. And he used to tell us all the time that Christians are the only ones that shoot their wounded. And I think that's really apropos where we are with Afghanistan. The whole issue is well, what about, you know, we don't leave anybody behind. What about our folks and, you know, what about American citizens? Um, and we're talking about Afghani refugees and all that. And I get that. And I have a heart for those people. And, and they're scared for their lives. And people risked their lives for the last two decades to, to work with Americans. And, and I understand that. Um, however, I'm an American. And I care about Americans. And they owe, we owe them uh, because of their nationality, their citizenship, and they're you know, part of us. Um, and so you know, are we going to be a country that just leaves people behind? And, and I don't look at it as so much as a, as a patriotic issue for me personally as, as how does this reflect the kingdom? It always is a mirror for me into, well, how does the kingdom handle this? How should the kingdom handle this? And then how are we handling? Are we doing well or are we not? And I got to say, not to be like super hyper negative or critical, but I just think realistic, we're not doing real hot. We're not doing real well at, um, at being together and binding together during hard times. Um, the Kingdom is split into so many factions um, over vaccinations and covid and over politics and all this stuff and we would rather shoot our wounded than drag them to you know than drag them to a place of safety where where we can heal together and and become stronger together and it 's just really grieving and uh, and and so i want to i want to address some of this today um, but in a different direction. I want to take it kind of a a different direction. Um, So the parable that I chose for this last weekend's Messiah meeting um, comes out of Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13. And it's in kind of a a blitz of parables that we we sometimes go, oh yeah, yeah, I know. You know, it's these things. And we just kind of read through it with a lullaby effect. Um, and if you don't know what the lullaby effect is, basically you, you've read something or heard something or watched something or been exposed to something so many times that you just kind of go through it with emotions. You know, you don't really pay attention to it. And and that can be a real – That's a I think that's a real issue uh, and a challenge for reading Scripture because certain parts of Scripture we've read as a part of our background or history or whatever. We've read them or we've heard sermons or Sunday school lessons or teachings on them so much that we just go, yeah, 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 I know. And we don't really read them and let them speak to us. So, uh, you know, the parables are, are interesting. And uh, before we before we read this, I want to just really quickly, you know, parables are um, they're they're riddles. Yeshua himself says, "I I tell these parables um, to harden the hearts of those that are inside, but to be a mystery to those that are on the inside." Which is like, wait, what? Um, and so, you know, but parables, I think the main, uh, the main thrust of a parable for me is that it should evoke a reaction. The point of the parable is to evoke a reaction. If it doesn't it, – it, uh, I read about um, a scholastic treatment of parables, and then and, and the, the scholar that was writing talked about a joke, right? A joke is funny because the punchline catches you off guard, Right? Um, a joke is funny because a story takes you in a direction where you get comfortable and you think, oh, like I kind of know where this is going. And then the punchline comes out of nowhere and catches you off guard and makes you laugh. If you have to explain every part of the joke, then the punchline is not funny anymore. And then it's not a joke. And then there's no experience around it. You'll never have a memory of that time. And a parable is much the same way in that the story kind of lulls you in a sense of like, oh, I know where this is going. And then the punchline takes you off guard, right? It sweeps you off your feet. And for for our purposes, it should evoke a reaction. It should cause you to react and to change your behavior or change your mindset. And um, and those two things are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes we need to change the way we think about things so that we can act differently. And sometimes we just need to act differently, regardless of how we feel or how we think about, about things. So, the the parable i chose that was the the parable of the net or the parable of the dragnet and where this parable comes in is um yeshua is speaking to the crowd um he tells the parable of the sower right at the beginning of Matthew 13 um and then he tells a parable about weeds right and uh and the 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 sower or the 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 uh the weeds and the wheat wheat i'm sorry i'll get it out and um Then he tells the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. And then in verse 36, it says, He left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain the parable of the weeds in the field. And so he does that. He explains. And my point in in just giving that background is the audience, Yeshua's audience. He was speaking to the crowds, and then goes inside, and his disciples come around him, and he has a really intimate teaching time with his disciples those that were closer to him than the crowds. And the, the misconception I think that we have sometimes is that um, that we, we expect everyone to live the same level of, of Kedusha, I guess the word I was using, the same level of commitment, the same level of loyalty, the same level of intensity that we do. And we expect the world, our society, our culture to operate by a set of standards that we feel convicted to. And yet many times they haven't agreed to these same set of standards. Um, We expect family and friends to live by the set, the same set of standards that we live by. And yet maybe they've never agreed to that, right? They've never, they've never agreed to do those things. Um, It's not their nature. It's not who they are. It's who we are. But we can't expect something of everybody else that we have been called to or we have been committed to. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through this. And so if you find yourself or if you believe yourself to be one who is close to Messiah, one who is close to Yeshua, and you, you not pride yourself, but you are confident that you are, you, know, you follow him closely, then then we those of us who feel that way and claim that we need this these parables are for us these parables are not for everybody else these parables are not we can't turn these parables and preach them to our culture because our culture doesn't claim closeness to to yeshua they're not trying to be close to yeshua so this is not for them this is for us to learn to for it to become a part of who we are our dna and our in our bones and then to example it to them so that they may pick it up and it may lead them to Yeshua. Or it may just lead them to, to bringing peace in the world and, and repairing the world. So the the audience is really important in this. So he goes on after he explains and he tells the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. And then he tells the parable of the net. And so in verse 47 he says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like. So we have this couple of phrases that are really popular throughout the Gospels. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on which gospel you're reading, in my opinion, they're synonymous, um, is like, right? So it's a simile. Um, This is characteristics of the kingdom and what the kingdom should act and look like and what in reality it is if we can get past our own Uh, presuppositions, our own, you know, our own baggage. The kingdom of uh, heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And when they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous And throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Yeshua asked. Yes, they replied. And he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of it his new store, out of his new storeroom, new treasures, as well as old. So, couple things. The kingdom of heaven is like a uh, is like a net, right? That's let down into a lake. Well, what is, you know, the lake is where the fish live. We're called to be fishers of men. The lake is where the fish live. The, the net's not let down into an aquarium. I mean, were there aquariums in the first century? I don't, I don't know. But the point is, the, the net is not let down into some artificial environment. The net is let down into the fish's natural environment where they can be found, where they're just doing their thing. They're just being fish, right? They're just being fish. You can't blame them for eating each other, for you know, being predatory. You can't blame them for you know, uh, doing what they do because that's what they are. They're fish. And you can't expect, again, like we talked about earlier, you can't expect something from them that's not in their nature. That's not who they are. And this this idea of the, the net being let down, and it just catches, it just gets full. It gets full, right? And, and the fishermen bring it up, and then they begin sorting through it. Um, and Yeshua said, this is what the end, it's going to be like this at the end. Um, th- this is how the angels are going to sort through whoever is in the kingdom. And this is, again, this parable should kind of turn us on our heads, it should really make us make us think and make us wring our hands a little bit because the kingdom, according to this parable, the angels are going to sort through those that are in the kingdom at the end and throw out the good or throw out the bad and keep the good. In the kingdom, not the world. He doesn't say the world is like a net. He says the kingdom is like a net. So the kingdom should be infiltrating the natural environment and should be picking up whomever it can. This, if, you're, if you were raised fundamentalist, I was raised Baptist, most of you know that. If you were raised in a fundamentalist tradition, uh, in, you know evangelical, this should really challenge you because it really challenges me. I'm, this is the third or fourth time I've taught it and it's still challenging to me. I still see different things every time I read it. That the kingdom is let out into the world. Yeshua said the kingdom is in you, and the kingdom is here, right? It's near to you, it's here already. The kingdom is out in the natural world. What have we done? What have we done as the church, as the Messianic movement? We've relegated the kingdom to our buildings and our home fellowships and our Bible study groups and our Facebook groups and our whatever. We're always trying to shrink the kingdom into boxes that will fit us and that will fit our understanding and that will really keep out anything that disagrees from us. And yet the, the, the net... Is dropped into this the natural environment of the world, and so I have this question, and I'm going to try to ask it in a way that's that makes sense. It, do you think, and in your opinion, is Yeshua's main call for his disciples his main his main when he says, "You guys, you're my disciples. You go doing this." Is Yeshua's main concern and main call and main responsibility to his followers that we get people saved and into the kingdom or that we generally are about making the world a better place which do you think is his main his main focus and his main crux i'll just give you a little hint it kind of is a trick question <laughs> But I really want to bring up both sides of it because I think we've been out of balance and our pendulum has been off to one side. So whenever we come back after the break, we'll talk about that question and continue on with the parable. Don't go away. Welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So the question is, is Yeshua's main uh, goal and purpose for his disciples, for the kingdom, his idea of the kingdom and, and those of us in it, is it to get people saved and in the kingdom or is it to generally live our lives trying to make the world a better place? What in Judaism is called Tikkun Olam, right? Repairing the world. And it really kind of is a, a, a trick question or really kind of not an accurate way of, a, of asking the question. But I ask it that particular way for a reason. I hope it causes some, well, wait, isn't, aren't they both kind of the point? And yeah, the answer is yes, yes and both. But my point is that we have, tenden- we have a tendency to focus on getting people in the kingdom, and we have a tendency to we're out there in the world, we're out there in culture, we're out there in society, we're out there in the natural environment, right? We're 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 casting the net out. And the, I don't know what again how you grew up or how you think about this, but the the sense for me has always been and not just from my Baptist upbringing, but in most um denominations or most, you know, places that I've been um church and uh messianic hebrew roots the sense is um people's value is 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 contingent upon how likely we are to be able to win them into the kingdom to get them to pray a prayer to get them baptized whatever and and it's almost a sense that well um people are kind of a lost cause anyway but if someone shows that they might be interested in following yeshua or Jesus or they might be they might be interested in starting to come to bible study or they might be interested in coming to shabbat or they you know they oh they might be interested in the feast days or they might be whatever then all of a sudden that person has more uh, almost has more value than the person who really could care less and maybe is a nice person but they they don't want to have anything to do with our religion or our god and we tend to think of people's value based on their uh, their their reluctance or their desire to follow our God and our ways, and so we we've done I think a massive disservice in that sense to humanity and to the kingdom, and I think we've done a disservice to the name of Hashem, um, period. In in that sense, if that's the way we think about it, and and I know this you know is kind of philosophical or you know kind of deep but I mean the the overarching arching thing is that you know well people that are not interested in in uh you know in what I have to say about the Bible or the way I live my life for God or the way I you know support my church or my fellowship or whatever the the those people that don't really care don't have anything well they're just kind of you know they're lost anyway and I wouldn't expect anything more they're they're a lost cause anyway you know and and that that Sadly, that's the sense that I've gotten over, over all these years of dealing with, well, you know, missionary work or evangelism and how do we reach the world? How do we reach the culture around us? Um, and we place a higher value on people that are more interested in what we do. And, and some of that may be human nature. Um, but again, culturally, society, that's human nature for society. But we are not of the, nat- the nature of our culture. We should, are supposed to be of the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is like not the world is like not culture or society is like the kingdom is like so this is challenging us to be a different way this is a kingdom ethic that we not prefer someone over another just because of their interest in what we're presenting or the way we live our lives or our convictions or the way we read the bible or what we feel like our identity is oh identity we're gonna get on that in a second we, if you've listened to this podcast, this program, for any length of time, or if you follow us on Shabbat, you know that we have spent a, a ton of time in Genesis. Um, and we're going to be revisiting Genesis again in the next couple of months after Sukkot. But you know that I have a particular way of reading Genesis. And if you don't know, I'll just give you the skinny. Week one is creation week, where God is creating populations, right? The birds of the air. The fish of the sea, uh, etc. etc. He's he's organizing and, and organizing land and dividing, etcetera. And we get to chapter to verse um uh, twenty six, it says, And then Elohim said, Let us make man, some of your translations may say, Mine says mankind. I like that, that's the NIV. Mankind in our image, in our likeness, so shall rule over the fish and the birds in the air and the livestock and the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of, Hashem, of Elohim, he created them male and female. He created them. So, you know, it depends on how you kind of think about creation and Genesis and Adam and Eve. I tend to think about creation like this. Not tend to. I think about creation like this. In week one, or in the first chapter of Genesis, at least, God is creating populations. That means when it says Elohim said, let us make mankind, it means he makes a bunch of people. Now, I know traditionally I was taught that that was Adam and Eve. I don't hold that view. I believe God created people. A bunch of, just like a population, just like a planet of forest of trees or birds in the air or fish in the sea or livestock on the ground. He created a a population of people. Right. And 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 if that's true, and then I believe Adam and Eve were or Adam was a man called and Eve actually were called out of that group of people to represent God and the kingdom in sacred space back to that people. And I think that uh, that design pattern holds true throughout scripture. God calls Noah, one from among them. God calls Abraham, one from the nations. God calls Israel as his son. God called Moshe. Uh, it's, it's constantly God calling a person or people from an existing population. So, not to beat that dead horse, but just to say that the point is that depending on how we view Genesis 1 can make a big impact on how the the effectiveness of how we cast our nets. Because if if... If we see it like, like I look at it, that God created this whole population of humanity. So, so when you think about, or when you go out today, look around, um, the people driving alongside you on the road that you may know or not know, um, the, the lady or the guy that handles your deposit at the bank, uh, the teachers that teach your children, the coaches that help them in, you know, in athletics and stuff, um, your insurance agent, the, the cashier at the grocery store. I mean, on and on and on these collection of people, um, the the leaders in Congress, in your state and local government in national government, uh, the Afghanis, the Taliban. Oh, let's get real. Let's get real tough. Let's get real, real difficult. The pedophiles, the murderers, the, the ISIS, the, you know, whoever, whoever you can think is the, the most, you know, offensive people group. God created humanity, a population of people, and he said, these people are my image. That's really, really challenging. That's really, really challenging because it's not just God created the Jews in his image. God created the Christians in his image. God created the Messianics in his image. God created the flat earthers in his image. Humankind with all of its goods and bads he created in his image you see value is not set on whether we think people are more likely or less likely to hear our message value was set at creation that every person we look at the young lady who's been who has you know four or five kids out of wedlock or for different different husbands and she can't keep a job because she's addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever but all that's because she was a victim of a molestation in her childhood or years of abuse and rape. She has value n- not not because she's a charity case. She has value because she's the image of God. She's part of what makes us as humanity the image of God. I need her because I'm not the image of God myself. We are corporately the image of God, and it's so... It's so challenging for us to not say, oh, well, yeah, but because I do the feast or because I eat a certain way or because I've made better decisions than somebody else in my life generally, then I deserve the image of God. And and those people, those other people, those other fish that are not good, that are unclean, that are whatever, they just corrupt the, 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 the sanctity that I've worked to build. God have mercy on us. It says the net, the net catches whatever it catches. It catches fish. And some of those fish are unclean. And yet the parable says nothing about, oh, get those unclean fish away from the clean fish because they're going to contaminate them. That, it's not, that's not a thing. And yet how much do we worry about somebody else's issues because we think we're going to catch something, Right? We're going to catch something. Well, in my estimation, a lot of the reason why we don't, uh, let me, let's just, let me ask you this. Uh, I think it's interesting that in the in the religious, you know, tradition, community, um, when an issue like abortion comes up, when an issue like homosexuality comes up, when an issue like transgenderism comes up, and it hits the political stage man religious people come out with their hair on fire about gay marriage and gay rights and abortion rights and all that and and listen i i'm i'm not i'm not cheerleading for those issues i'm against abortion i believe life begins at conception i'm against you know the homosexual not against i don't i don't agree with the homosexual lifestyle i don't agree with transgenderism heck i don't even understand it I don't know if a transgender woman is a woman trying to be a man or a man trying to be a woman. And I can't keep it all together. And, and I just, it's all confusing to me. I'm not promoting or, or giving permission to those things or lauding those things. I'm saying they are issues in our society. In the lake that we live in, where our nets are supposed to be down and catching, catching fish, these things are an issue. I don't care if we like it or not. It doesn't, it's inconsequential whether we like it or not. It is the issue. It is where we live. It is the, the these are the conditions of our day. And the kingdom is supposed to be in the natural environment. It's supposed to be where the fish are, not isolated to our buildings and to our studies and to our little private groups where we try to, where we say it's okay for you to come in because you're like us, but it's it's not okay for you because you're not like us. How many times while we're, yelling and screaming and we're we're you know giving our pious opinions about about you know the gays or the you know the baby killers and all this kind of stuff how many times uh, while we're we're bluffing off about our our sanctity how many times have you in your life have i in my life that knows someone who is who struggles with homosexuality or maybe don't even struggle with it maybe they're maybe they're gay and they're proud of it they love their life how many times have, out of genuine concern and love, and genuine empathy, have you said, "Hey, um, I'd love to like go have coffee, or you know, or take you to lunch, or, or something like that. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to spend some time with you, because like I want to hear your story. I, I, I don't understand homosexuality. I don't, you know, I, I don't. I really, I kind of wrestle with it to be honest with you, and and I just want to understand. But no, we don't do that." we reduce that person to something ugly and something something vile and and something that's that's against nature. And you know what? It is against nature. But that is a soul. That is a person. That is a fish in the net that we're supposed to be catching. That is a that is a a, a transgender person. I think it's one of the sickest mental complexes out there. Yet how willing would I be because I am part of the image of God and I, my master, my rabbi Yeshua, my savior, has challenged me to go out and cast the net of the kingdom. How willing am I to sit down with somebody who is involved in transgender activity? I say I don't even know. But how willing am I to get to know that person, to understand their story, to hear what makes them tick? We want people to be interested in what we have to say. But why are we not willing to be interested in people that are different than us? I believe it's a matter of identity. Because we, don't, we are not really confident in who we are. We don't really know who we are. We're not confident. We still think we're going to catch something. Or, or for some reason, it always amazed me as a kid. Because my, my mom raised me in church my dad raised me kinda of in the barrooms. I played, started playing music when I was real real young and you know, traveling with him in the bar rooms, little nasty clubs and dive bars and all over the place and where there's drugs and sex and you know all all the things. And and then I would read the gospels and it was like, Well man, I kinda of identified with Yeshua because like that seems to be some of the places that he hung out. Like he was with those people. And yet you know, I would sit in church week after week after week as a young kid. And and, and those people that I hung out with, my dad's friends People that would frequent the bars and would kind of follow the band around, you know, wherever we were playing. I got to really love those people. They were they were decent people. I mean, they had drinking problems. Maybe they had a drug issue. They had, uh, you know, maybe their marriage was all busted up. I mean, their life wasn't in, in good shape maybe many times. But but I grew to love those people. And, you know, I would sit in church and the thing was like, oh well, don't be around, you know, don't be around places where you can comp- you could be compromised. Don't be around places where you could be tempted to sin. Don't be around people that, you know, are not walking your your lifestyle because you know you might be you might compromise and they might pull you away from God. And it would just seemed to be the opposite message from the gospel. It seemed to be the opposite of what our Messiah modeled for us. And and what I think that comes from is that we're first of all, many of us are not committed enough that we can't be swayed. We're not committed enough that we can't be swayed. Secondly, we're not confident enough in the covenant in our commitment in the power of the spirit and the the power of the cross and what Yeshua did, and the power of his life, we're not convinced of that enough and that hasn't seeped down into our bones enough to where we can be okay around an atheist or a a Buddhist or a Muslim or a a, a homosexual person or somebody that that loves the idea of abortion or whatever. We're uncomfortable when really if we knew what we believed and were confident in what we believed, we could be in those situations and we could be a, a viable voice in those situations because of our confidence in our God and our Savior and His covenant and His word and in the life that He produces in us. Many times it's because we don't have an answer or the only answer we have because of how we've read scripture is, is one of hate and, and criticism. And yet we, we want to lose our minds and we want everybody to hear us when we feel like our country or, or, or the world is going in the wrong direction. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said this before in Shabbat, if you follow our Shabbat services, Listen, the culture wars—the church lost the culture wars sixty years ago. The church has not been a viable voice in the culture wars in sixty years, at least. Politics—we don't have a place at the ta- at the political table. We're just sloved off as oh, those conservative people, those religious people that hate everybody. So, what are we to do? Yeshua says, the kingdom is like a net cast into a lake, let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of fish, all kinds. And at the end of time, when it's full, the angels will sort through and they will determine who stays and who doesn't. I hope this is challenging for you. You know, we talk about identity. The fishermen were fishermen. It's what they do. They weren't concerned about targeting a certain type of fish. They were fishermen. You catch a bunch of fish and then you go through them and you, you, you know, you filter them out. They weren't worried about what type of fish they were, they were create or they were catching. They were just fishermen. They did what they do. And we should just do what we do, which is share the kingdom. Another thing in our identity is that, you know what, it, I know this is going to be hard for some evangelically based people. And listen, you guys are my people, okay? You're, you're my fam. I, I mean, I, I sweat and bleed evangel, evangelistic, you know, upbringing and background. But you know what? Just because you're convicted of something does not give you the right or the responsibility even to put that on anybody else. It really doesn't. I know that we find Torah and we want to post it on Facebook and we want, to, we want to use it like a weapon and we want to yield it like a sword and we want everybody to know that the Torah is the way. And I agree, Torah is the way. Messiah is the way, absolutely, 100%. I'm with you, I'm with you. And yet, God called you to do those things. We all know loving, well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians, some of them live in your own house, That did not, God didn't open their eyes to Torah when he did ours. Why? Not because he expects us to, because it wasn't time for them yet. And you know what? It may never be. But they're doing their best to follow where God has called them. And how dare us, how dare us judge Christians or Jews or anybody else for following where God has led them because we know what it's like for God, for people to judge us for where God is, we feel like God is leading us. We know what it's like to be cut off and to be isolated and to be, to be subjugated to, to all kind of rumors and, and all kinds of stuff. Because people are judging us for simply following where we feel like God has led us. So how dare we do that to somebody else? We need to repent of that and go rebuild those relationships. But you live where God has called you to live. You live how God has called you to live. And do it in mercy and humility. Let your convictions be yours. And don't put them as a millstone around everybody else's neck. We worry and we... we, we and, and this is a great quote I heard. I think it was off like an Avengers movie or something. But, but this is a great quote. It says, we, we are fighting each other over who gets to fight the real fight Listen if that that's the majority of your day is consumed with fighting with other believers or other messianics or other you know Hebrew rooters or whatever over over what the truth is who really knows the truth and who really believes the truth and who really has the truth if that's what your day is consumed with is that if that's what your mind and your life is consumed with just I don't even I don't even know you, you need to repent. We're fighting with each other over and there's a there's a war raging out there and we're fighting with each other over who is worthy to go out there and fight the real fight and the truth is that none of us are engaging the fight and the fight's going on without us and and we're losing period it's just it's just sad it grieves me i want to read this from first john chapter 4 uh, we're going to start in verse 7 Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous, the one who does what is sinful is of Asatan because Asatan has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy Asatan's work. No one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of, of Asitan are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. He continues, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were Righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You know that you have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Yeshua Messiah laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need has no pity on them, How can the love of God in that person, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. If our words and our speech lead and inside of our actions again I hope this is challenging for you and something that you'll think about the world, the society, culture around us needs an answer, they're dying in chaos, we serve the God of ultimate order and we have the answer and we are the answer let's not consolidate our life giving truth to our churches and our Bible studies and our buildings, let's go cast a big net, catch some fish for the kingdom